Larry Bird's not walking through that door. We're talking about practice. Not a game, not a game, not a game. We're talking about practice. It's my team. It's my quarterback. A kick. It is. Good. 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 To be the man, you gotta beat the man. The 2 1. Swung lane drive left field. One run is in. Here's Kevin Green. This is the Powers on Sports Podcast. All right, folks, welcome to another episode of the Powers on Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Powers, down here in beautiful, sunny Tampa, Florida on a nice October afternoon. When we are going to talk some college football today. We've got a huge couple huge games on the slate. We're going to talk some NFL. We're going to talk some major league playoffs. We are in the AL and NLCS midway through these series. Both of them are very competitive series. And we are going to do all that today with my host, first time on the podcast, one TJ Reeves, my buddy down in Tampa. TJ is the Buck, Tampa Bay Buccaneers sideline guy. He's also a broadcaster. He does college football games all over the country. He does local stuff. He's done college basketball, college football, in a very storied career. Too to, much stuff. Too much for you to intro. I won't. I won't age you, uh, TJ. But we, I remember you back in the day when you were on local Tampa radio when I was a youngster, <laughs> and you were just a little older than I was. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast, TJ. Well, it's good to be with you, and you know that I've been full of crap for a long time. I tell people that all the time. So uh, I, when, whenever somebody starts roll-calling all the stuff that I do, I can just envision listeners going, make it stop, enough. I don't want to try to keep track of all of that. But, yeah, I, uh, I am blessed to be able to do many different things. Uh, and we, we might have a couple of things to talk about this weekend with a couple of games that I'm going to be involved with and calling. we do. we got a huge slate on, like I said, a huge college football game where we're going to talk Alabama, Georgia. We're going to talk Bucks, Packers, which you're going to be there in, in person for that. We all, we're going to talk some boxing as well at the end of the podcast. You're, TJ is a big boxing guy. He's got, he's got a lot of information on the boxing in the boxing world and do a little, uh, little baseball playoffs as well. Tampa Bay is the epicenter of the sports landscape here the last couple months with the Lightning, the Rays doing so well, the, the expectations of the Buccaneers. We and the Super Bowl. Yeah, we and the Super Bowl, Bowl coming here no matter what. So, yeah, we, we really have been. Uh, I, I realize not everybody follows hockey, but this is a hockey market and everybody's bonkers over the Stanley Cup. Baseball more mainstream. And at the time that we're talking, the Rays on the verge, this close to maybe being back in the World Series for the first time since 2008. When my twins were just born, my twins were four-month-olds, uh, and we pulled out a picture last night. I should get this to you uh, and, and for the audience and put it on social media of my wife and I holding up the twins in their little Rays World Series shirts. Uh, and she and I went, I went and worked game two and she went to game two as a fan. And that's one of the first times she was out of the house after having twins. Wow. So 12 years later, I can't replicate that kind of story, but the Rays may be about to be in the World Series without playing any of these games in Tampa, which is just bizarre, Jason. It's crazy. I mean, it's, it's amazing to think that 
we've this, this city of Tampa has been so, so star driven for a champion that we've not been able to see the we've not we didn't get so, to see one so game when we lightning. tell the story when we tell the story years from now yeah the lightning won the stanley cup but all the games were in toronto or edmonton canada yeah the the rays potentially won the world series but except for the first series with toronto all the games were in san diego california or were in arlington texas we're just all they might as well be on pluto brother it's it's crazy and then, then the irony will be at the end when the Buccaneers make the Super Bowl, they'll be the first ever team to host the Super Bowl <laughs> in their own city of all of yes. all years. Good point. That will be yeah. The, uh, and so let's hope the- let's hope that that's the case and that, that everything's a go ahead with that. But yeah, how how wild is this in 2020 with everything that we're dealing with? The Tampa Bay potential. And I know there's a long way to go. You got to beat Houston, then you got to beat either the Braves or the Dodgers. But you could have two championships where the home fans didn't get to participate in any of it. So it's, and I know the Lakers just won a championship in Orlando and their fans didn't get to participate in any of it. And somebody will win the baseball t- championship and, and they, they will have not been at the games, but it's just crazy if we get two of them and we weren't able to be at any of it. And what's funny is LA has the same opportunity as Tampa with the Dodgers in the mix and True. The Lakers. So there's, True. you know, there's two, us, us and LA have both the chance to do a double up in both sports. And, uh, We'll see what and happens. And by All the right. way, the last time the Dodgers won it, the Lakers also won it in 1988. Kurt so there's a little symmetry for L.A. God, am I that old? It's my I'm senior right year in high school. It makes me stop it. That makes me feel old 32 <laughs> years ago right on, uh, on Dodgers and Lakers. But Rays could have that also. All right. Well, let's get to the game of the, of the, of the year so far in the college football world. Tuscaloosa, Alabama, Saturday night. CBS primetime, Gary, uh, Brad Nestler, Tiki Barber, and TJ Reeves will be on the call on the <laughs> who, national radio call. Who doesn't belong in that circle of broadcasting uh, on that? But yeah, Nestler and, and Danielson ready to do it for CBS and Tiki and I hanging for national radio on Compass Media Networks. Uh, what, a, what a thrill. And I know we got controversy. I know you're going to get into this with uh, Nick Saban and the positive COVID test, but if all things are equal and we get to go be part of this Saturday night, I don't think it's overselling. It's one of the most important games of the college football season, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And granted, there could potentially be another matchup with these two teams down the road, but right now you never know how the season's going to play out with COVID and everything. So this is the, the 2020 game of the century so far <laughs> in 2020. So uh, no, I mean, have you been to Tuscaloosa? Is, is this your first time in Tuscaloosa? So this is game? interesting. It's, it's so I know you got Alabama roots and you played at UAB and I've been in and around Alabama growing up in the South my whole life. I've been in Tuscaloosa on a couple of occasions, been through Tuscaloosa. I have never been inside Bryant Denny stadium. Okay. I'll say it a little louder. I've never been inside Bryant Denny stadium. So this will be a, this will be a first time to be in there and be part of that. I've been in several sec stadiums like Nealon or Oxford or Baton Rouge or Gainesville for it to compare, but not inside of the hallowed place where Nick Saban has won. What is it? Five, seven, 23 national championships. (laughs) And now I can't wait, wait, I can be there, but he can't be there. Saturday. That is the crazy part is, uh, is again, <laughs> you, first of all, you will, you will thoroughly enjoy Tuscaloosa and Bryant Denny in a prime time night game scenario. Many of you guys know I lived in Birmingham for many, many years. Let me tell you something. The streets of Birmingham and the streets of Tuscaloosa will be empty from probably 730 till probably midnight 
There will be nobody on the streets. There will be nobody other than a sports bar. There won't be people going out to dinner with their wife and their grandmother. That put that whole region of a, probably a 50 mile radius will be like a ghost town on the on the streets of those cities. So you're gonna you're being for a pleasure. It's a great atmosphere, especially a night game in Tuscaloosa. You'll be you'll be there on the call with Tiki and Tiki Barber. So thoroughly enjoy it, TJ, because it's gonna be a great experience. Now Tiki, I, I you know Tiki's a New York guy, played for the Giants. He played for Virginia in the ACC, and he understands it's not the same as playing in the SEC and the religion, the almost live or die like it is. But Tiki has done at least two or three games, Alabama games in this stadium. So he's the veteran. I'm the I'm the newbie for going to broadcast uh, this one. And again, it's bizarre in 2020 because it's only going to be like 25% capacity, right. something like 15, right. 18,000, whatever it is. But at least we'll have some atmosphere, Jason Powers, because the first game that Tiki and I did on Compass Media Networks nationally was North Carolina and Syracuse with no one there in Chapel Hill. And it's as eerie as anything that I have done in 30 years of broadcasting, trying to call a game. Yeah, they were piping in music and crowd noise, but you're looking around and I'm looking at him like I'm looking at you going, this is nuts. I mean, we're calling plays and you can hear guys down on the field from the press box. You can audibly hear them up in the press box because there's no one there. It was wow. crazy. So at least we get some atmosphere Saturday night for Bama, Georgia. Absolutely. And, and a couple narratives in this game, obviously the huge curveball yesterday was Saban testing positive for COVID, not going to be in the stadium, almost guaranteed he's not going to be there. Let me tell you something. If you're the operations people at Tuscaloosa, have they been working 24 hours a day to figure out a way for a wireless communication of some sort? I guarantee you there's a GA, our guy Charlie Strong, who's got Tampa roots, is an analyst on the Tusk on the Alabama staff. Can you imagine the meetings that have happened, the Zoom meetings of how oh, yeah. to relay information from Saban to whoever he needs to get it to? Game day. That, that will be an interesting dynamic of that game. So, so we already have gone through this. Uh, we did a game, uh, Florida State and Miami, where Mike Norvell could not coach. And again, by rule, allegedly, supposedly, they cannot have any contact with the team once they head to the stadium. There is no cell phone communication, text message, no, uh, like we're on a Zoom right now, no Zoom, no Skype, no TikTok, no nothing <laughs> until the game is over. The next time he can have contact with the team, the Alabama team is in the locker room after the game is over. And the reason they do that, and it's a common sense thing, and there have been other instances uh, where this has come up where a coach, remember Hugh Freeze was in the hospital bed when they were coaching, it was Liberty against, I think, Syracuse or whoever yep, it was. Yep. He was up in the press box in a hospital bed because they told him the same deal, which is you can't communicate with any of the assistants, the players, or anything if you're not here. So that was bizarre how they got the hospital bed up the press box elevator and into a booth, which they did. But in this case, you can understand if you were to allow that communication, Jason, then you could you could have all kinds of people in the locker room, off-site, constantly texting you telling you things that they see from the tv so they right. just they cut all of that off the only communication can be on those headsets that we all see from the press box down to the to the field or if you're actually in person coaching on the sideline or at halftime in the locker room other than that they don't allow anything else any other outside stuff so Saban 
We'll have no contact probably from about 5 p.m. Eastern time, 5.30, something like that, until the game is over, and it's got to it's gotta eat at him. And it's squarely on Steve Sarkeesian, the former USC yeah. and Washington Husky head coach, who apparently is going to run the show here and, and coach them because he's got the head coaching experience. Uh, welcome to it in a huge game with Georgia. That's a great nugget. I didn't realize that was the rule. Is, is that an ACC rule or an NCAA that's, rule? That's an NCAA. That's the NFL Okay. Um, and it was very clear with Norvell that Norvell was at his house and Norvell did talk to them pregame prior to the Miami game at the hotel, yep. went over some things with his coaches. But once they got on the buses at the hotel, he could have no more communication as the game went on. What was interesting, and I didn't see this. I don't know if CBS is going to have this. There's nothing that forbids CBS from talking to Nick Saban during the game. Or if, <laughs> if he if he wants, they can have a camera that might be showing him, but he can't communicate with the team, even in a coded message. You know, he can't hold up a sign, you know, run more or, <laughs> you know, <laughs> stop throwing, you know, whatever it is. He can't, he can't do that. But I wonder if CBS, uh, and we'll just have to tune in, Jason, on Saturday night, if they try to talk to him during the game because they that had be that right. set up for the Miami-Florida State game with Norvell. Well, maybe Saban will talk to you if you guys get the direct line. <laughs> I don't know. He ain't going to have the time of day for us uh, unless he can somehow get a message to Sarkeesian or the defensive coach or something. All right, let's get to the X's and O's of the game. All right. To me, this is a – to me, this is a battle of the Georgia defense and the offense of Alabama, obviously, the, the high-powered Mac Jones and company. You know, last week they were in a shootout in, in, in Oxford. They escaped. Lane Kiffin, one of the top five play callers in the country, really exposed them a little bit as far as in the passing game. I'm not sure Georgia has that kind of passing game. Um, but to me, that it's going to be how much offense can Stetson Bennett generate on a, through the passing game. It's a different type of offense at Georgia than it was at Ole Miss. You know, uh, Todd Munkin, who we know a little bit, is the OC yes. Georgia. He's more of a pro-style kind of offensive guy. He's got some He's got some spread in him, but it's a lot of pro-style stuff. It'll be interesting how Stetson Bennett handles that Tuscaloosa crowd, that atmosphere, versus that, that suspect Alabama defense and how Kirby Smart's defense approaches the Alabama offense. Do you, do you, do you shut down the running game? Are you a believer in Najee Harris in the running game? Or are you going to first try to uh, settle down Matt Jones in the passing game? Yeah, and and you look at Auburn's game, and I, I'm, I'm sorry, Alabama's game with Ole Miss the other night uh, uh, on Saturday night, which broke SEC records for points in a regulation game and yards in a regulation game. And Track me. Uh, Alabama. Absolutely. Arena football, whoever has it last. <laughs> Alabama's tackling was horrible in that game. It's got to be better right. or, or Georgia's going to do whatever they want. Now, how much of that was tempo, 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 Jason, and wearing them down, especially in the second half. And Georgia's not going to play at they the are. same tempo. They right. may play up tempo, but they're not going to probably play at the same tempo. So you wonder about that. Um, but at the, by the same token, Alabama's firepower with Waddle and Smith on the outside. And then uh, Najee Harris was just devastating between the tackles. Again, Ole Miss's defense is basically dead last in every statistical category that matters right now among the teams right. that are playing. So it's tough to judge that versus a quality defense like Georgia. But still, Kirby Smart and his coaching staff have had to be looking at this um, and going, wow, what a challenge we have because Mac Jones doesn't look like he's missed a beat uh, stepping in here as a, as a new quarterback. 
Uh, you know, he had to step in at the end of last year, obviously, when Tua got hurt. But they they throw the deep ball well. He's thrown the intermediate throws well. They're going to be a handful for the Georgia defense. That's for and sure. One thing to remember, Steve Sarkeesian and Lane Kiffin worked together many a year at USC. So many of the same concepts and same play designs and that kind of stuff you will probably see in this game by Alabama versus so, Georgia. So many subplots because Kirby Smart worked and coached the defense for so yep. many years before yep. getting the Georgia job. So the familiarity is going to be there from both. I, I'm, I'm anxious to see the chess match uh, back and forth. And I, I, I think, again, I think you're, you're going to have a great game. I, I think Alabama is going to win the game. I think there's too much offense with Alabama. And I don't think Georgia quite has enough offense, in my opinion. They struggled a little bit last week with Tennessee. They had a couple of, you know, a couple of turnovers and a couple of those things. They got stopped at the goal line late in the first half. But I think Alabama, in the end, I think it's going to be a game of attrition. Again, who wins the line of scrimmage? The offensive and the defensive line are always huge in these big SEC matchups. Those typically determine the winner in a lot of, especially in the running game. If, the, if Alabama can get Najee Harris going, it's going to be a very tall order for Kirby Smart in the defense. Hey, I want to do something special here for the Powers on Sports podcast. I've told this story before. I have not told it this week. I will try to work it in on the national call of the game Saturday night with Tiki Barber. Uh, and Tiki probably won't hear this before it happens, so I want to hit him with it so that he laughs the same way that you're about to laugh. I got the privilege of being at the championship game, the college football playoff championship game at Mercedes-Benz Stadium, working it in the media uh, back now three years ago uh, for that showdown. And, and we obviously know how it ended, but I, I mean, Alabama was struggling with Kirby Smart's defense with Jalen Hurts in at quarterback. And I, and I realized, again, this is three seasons ago. It's totally different personnel, but it's just a reference point. But then Tua came in for the first time, and I believe it was the first time with any significant action. He'd only played yeah, like mop-up action. Was. And he didn't play particularly well, Jason, for a lot of the of the fourth quarter. And there was debate about whether they were going to put Jalen Hurts back in the game right. to try right. to, to, to re-spark. All right. So anyway, the game goes to overtime. And uh, sudden death for the national championship. Gets no crazier. So where we were sitting is up in the third level of Mercedes-Benz Stadium for these for these overflow press situations. A lot of us not in the press box. So we're up in the third level out in the seats with press tables, temporary press tables. So we're trying to figure out, can I get down there? Because they start overtime fairly quickly right after the end of regulation. So I decided, all right, I'm, I'm, I'm packing up uh, some stuff to go down there, including a recorder, because this is radio and podcast world. And I'm not going to wait for the elevator that's outside in the concourse. I'm going to go down the stairs and just go down the stairs as quickly as I can to get all the way down to the ground. I knew my way around a little bit because the Buccaneers had also played there once with the Falcons to get out the tunnel and get on the field. All right, so the overtime starts and Georgia has the ball first. And I'm missing the first two or three plays by the time I get out of my seat, get in the concourse, get in the stairwell, get down the stairwell, get out the bottom <laughs> stairwell and get to the get to the tunnel to get out to where we're allowed to stand. And you're having to show your, your pass over and over again. And, they, and they're scanning it like your produce at the grocery store. So I show it a couple of times. I get to the field level. I show it. I get over here. By this time, Rodrigo Blankenship had already kicked the field goal for Georgia to put them in front. So I see that as I'm coming out the tunnel. So I find my colleague who has been sitting with me upstairs on the sideline. There's a massive amount of people on the Alabama near sideline at about the 10 yard line. I find him as the first play is going on that Alabama is running and they sack Tua. So I find him 
I say, you know, I say hello to him and I'm like, okay, we got to, we got to walk down here because they just sacked him and he's back now, like at the 35 yard, let's walk down a little bit so we can see something. We get to about the 20 from the 10 to the 20. We can still see, we stop Jason. And I look to my left right here next to me as we're visualizing. And Scott Frost is standing right next to me, the former <laughs> UCF coach who's just taken the Nebraska job, like about two weeks earlier, I'm standing next to, to Scott Frost. And he's looking out on the field. I'm like, what's up, coach? I said, hello, did just wave. They run that famous second down play. And Tua does the, the spin out, the play action or whatever, and throws the bomb. And, and the, the, I can see it. The catch is made. They've scored. They've won the national championship. Wham, bang. I've been on the field for two plays for a total of like two minutes tops, maybe 90 seconds tops. And Alabama has won the national title on a walk-off touchdown. The best part, they're coming right at us, brother. Wow. When when Devontae Smith is running, or whoever that was, I think it was Devontae Smith. I think it was. He's running. He's running right at us. And that pile, that that huge pile of players, that's right in front of me. I was concerned for a second they're going to run us over. And Scott Frost backed up. We all backed <laughs> up. I'm like, they're coming right at us to celebrate. Wow. There's players pouring off the bench. There's people coming out of the stands. Uh, to jump onto the field and oh, it was a crazy scene. I pulled the recorder out. I should have interviewed Scott Frost. I start interviewing people that are around me. That's awesome. I don't know, my friend, what we're going to get Saturday night, but there's my story, and I'm sticking to it, from the national title game uh, where it gets no crazier than a walk-off touchdown in overtime to win the national title, Alabama and Georgia, and Georgia fans still, and rightfully so, has not recovered from that. And people moment. don't realize Alabama doesn't play Georgia every year. They only play about once every six or seven years because of the Correct. rotation of the SEC schedule. So you're not going to see this matchup other than the SEC title game, potentially, or a playoff scenario. You don't see this regular season matchup very often. So when both of them are in the top five of the country, all the storylines, all the interrelationships that are, exist between these two staffs. And because I, because again, Kirby Smart has several guys that have been on the Alabama staff. So they know each other inside and out. Both staffs know each other. It's just, you're in for a great treat. And so I'm, very excited for you to be in Tuscaloosa and Bryant Denny walking through the quad, the, chi uh, the, the, the chimes. You're going to hear the chimes, hopefully, on your way into the stadium. It's, it's the Denny chimes, right? Yep. Is that what Denny it's called? Chimes, yep. I actually, here's the story. I, I'm a high, I, I've refereed high school football for many years. 2011, I was selected to referee in the state championship, high school state championships Ooh. in Alabama, in Bryant Denny Stadium. Wow. So I got to referee a state championship high school game in Bryant Denning, obviously not nearly the crowd or nothing like that, but just the, the aura of going in that stadium to referee a, a big time <laughs> game. It's like broadcasting it is, is, is awesome too. So you're going to have a great time. All Thank right, you. let's transition real quick. University of Florida, Dan Mullen with some very interesting comments last <laughs> week after the Texas A&M loss about how he wants 90,000 in the swamp and all that. And lo and behold, two days later, 15, 18 Florida players test positive for COVID and the game is now canceled with LSU. Your thoughts, Dan Mullen. Incredible. And people are saying karma uh, because he was, he was being adamant privately that they wanted more than 25% for the LSU game. Uh, and again, the only thing we know in 2020 is that we don't know. I keep saying that to you and to anybody else. And so here we go with that outbreak and the game is postponed till December 12th and LSU gets a huge break because their quarterback was basically not going to be able to play in this game uh, with an injured shoulder. 
Uh, they're reeling defensively right yeah. now, obviously. Missouri put it on them last week in that game uh, that was moved from Baton Rouge because of the hurricane to Columbia, Missouri. So this comes at a good time for LSU uh, to pause that game and not play it till December 12th. And if you're if you're the Gators, man, I, and I'm around PR and you look. are too. Bad you PR are, look. You're around a lot of Gator fans. I am too. And they ain't saying a whole lot. And there's not a whole lot that you can say when your coach has been squawking about let's have more people there. And then you have positive COVID tests galore. Um, and it just it shows you once again, regardless of, of what your political belief is, right. regardless of how healthy you think you might be, or, or how immune you think you might be, right. you can be walking around positive and not know it. That's the point. The Florida guys were all around each other earlier this week on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, doing their workouts, weight room, meeting room, practice room, and spreading it to each other, obviously, unknowingly, with whatever they were doing. And it's good that Greg Sankey, the SEC, all these conference commissioners, John Swafford, ACC, on and on, uh, it put all these protocols in place for the schools that went ahead and went first to practice and play. And what are right. we going to do? And um, can we still play if there are some that can't play? And, and what, are the, what are the guidelines with if it's – is it a position group? Okay, so what happens if you have six offensive linemen that you're counting on that can't play? Right. How do we do this and how do we reschedule? So they have those guidelines in place. And uh, it's unfortunate for Gator fan and for Dan Mullen, but yeah, PR nightmare. I would agree. <laughs> All right, last college football note: Is Tom Tom Herman in trouble at Texas? I don't know if he's in trouble, but he can see it from where he is uh, because they <laughs> lost again to Oklahoma. And since Sam Ellinger declared on the podium at the Sugar Bowl after they defeated. Uh, Georgia, we're back. back two years ago now. We're, we're back. back. Remember that whole thing? They're 10 and seven wow. since that moment, including a loss last year in the uh, in the Sugar Bowl. So um, let's see. Let's see what happens with Herman. You got to win some games from here on out, but that's what now three losses, I believe, for them on the two year. For sure. I know they lost two, two and they lost before. again to Oklahoma, I believe, for the third straight time since he's yeah. been there. So yeah. Let, let's see on uh, on Texas, because that's a place where they don't put up with it. Not for very all, long, for very long. sure. Not very long. All right, let's transition to our Tampa Bay Rays. ALCS, we're in the, we're in the game five to, to, tonight. Rays up 3-1 over the Astros. You got LA in, in the, uh, Atlanta, 2-1 Atlanta going into game four. You know, you had the explosion last night with the Dodgers. 11 runs in the first. I don't know that that word does it justice. I know you're a Braves guy and you're hurting, but does does explosion do it justice when you score 11 times in the top of the first and you still got to play for three more hours because there's no mercy rule. It's not the beer league, softball league. It's not little league, no slaughter rule, no mercy rule. My Lord. So the Dodgers and Braves, who knows what's going to happen. We're just hoping that we're in the Tampa Bay area, that the Rays can finish off the Astros after being up three, nothing. Yep. When, whenever they're hearing the podcast, we're hoping it's open, open uh, over with Thursday night. Maybe it takes until Friday night. God help us. If it goes into Saturday, because right. that means it's three all and the Rays will have lost three straight. I don't even want to think about that. Jason. No, Powers. Let's no, have no, the Rays no. just eliminate those cheating Astros and get into the World Series again. If you're the if you're the Rays, you got to play. You got to get the lead. The one thing they've been doing, struggling to score the last couple of days, you got to get the lead. They, he, 
Altuve's killing them a little bit the last couple of games, even though they've only lost yesterday. Play with the lead because that's where your pitching strength comes into play. Houston, their strength is hitting. So we the defense has been outstanding for the Rays. The timely hitting has been good, but you got to get the lead. Make Houston spread it out. I thought they had Grinky on the ropes last night, and they just couldn't get him out of there with that one big hit. And they almost got the Presley in the ninth inning, and they got to him a little bit, but they almost Adamas is, is five feet away from tying the game up. But you got to play with the lead, and again, I think the longevity of bullpen is going to be the the, the Rays' uh, ticket to the World Series. And, and look, I fully understand that most people that are not in the Tampa Bay area can't name three Rays. Uh, maybe Blake Snell. Maybe they know who Tyler Glasnow is now right. from the playoffs. Maybe they know who Kevin Kiermeyer is. We know who the rest of the guys are. Right. When you start talking about Willie Adamas or G-Man Choi or Manuel Margot with that great moment where he went barreling over the the uh, the right field uh, foul area wall and still hung on to that ball, one of the most incredible catches you're going to see, much less in a postseason game to make that kind of play. Uh, and this uh, Randy Arozarena that they got from the Cardinals. I got a buddy of mine in, uh, in Memphis who said, hey, Randy Arozarena was tearing it up for the AAA Memphis Redbirds. So this is fascinating now to watch him in the Major League, American League playoffs do the same thing. He's like, we, we were watching him in Memphis for like a couple of seasons at the AAA level going back and forth to the Cardinals, and now here he is starring in Tampa Bay uh, in the postseason, let's hope the Rays can get the timely hit you're talking about, finish off the Astros, and, uh, it, hey, it would be great because they have to travel. Whoever wins has to travel from San Diego to Arlington. Correct. Uh, if you can go ahead and eliminate the Astros as we're taping on Thursday night and get a travel day or two to rest and set your pitching staff, that Absolutely. would be ideal. The last thing you want is your hair on fire, having to scramble to win a game six or a game seven, and it scrambles your pitching staff even more because they're going to make you try to play immediately in the World Series like Sunday, Monday. Because remember, they they're playing seven straight days in both championship series. No off days, yeah. nothing. So it really exposes the bullpen. If you, like, like I love, I love this because it's almost like if you're the players, you're, you're now realizing we agreed to this. We signed <laughs> up to play seven days in a row for a league championship series. Right. But yeah, they right. absolutely did. And television has a lot to do with it and the TV money, but it's, it's nuts. I think the Braves. I think the Braves are going to find a way to get it done against the Dodgers. I know everybody's thinking the Dodgers with their explosion. I think the Rays, or I mean the Braves, excuse me, are going to figure out a way to get through. And I think it's going to be a Rays Braves World Series. And I think you know, from my heart, the Braves are my team before the Rays came aboard in 1998. Growing up, so that they're they're my National League. Team. Well, the I'm anniversary gonna... of Sid Bream was what yesterday, yesterday. or Tuesday. At Cabrera, the time that we're Francisco taping, Cabrera. that's that is in the open to the Powers on Sports yes. podcast. Sid Bream scoring from second with Skip Carey calling it on yes. uh, on radio. I recognize that, and of course Sean McDonough, who's still doing TV for CBS yep. or, or ESPN. Now Sean McDonough was on the call on CBS yes. for that big moment, going save. He almost lost his voice. Save. At yep. the plate. What, uh, I mean, I, so I, yeah, I, the Braves the Braves have some karma work in this week in their history in the league championship series. Yeah, I, I remember sitting in my dorm at Florida State when Bream when Francisco <laughs> Cabrera to left field. Here comes Bream. That was a classic moment. Here's what I here's what I remember about that. My father and I, and again, this is pre-Tampa Bay Rays. We're watching in Tampa. Uh, in the living room of our home. So the Rays didn't exist. We're pseudo Braves fans because they were on every night on cable all over the yep. South and all over the country. 
I remember I was laying and watching on a beanbag and kind of somewhat into it, somewhat nervous, maybe not really nervous. I remember being nervous. I remember I stood up when he got the base hit and my father's like, get out of the way. Cause he's trying to see the TV for the throw to the plate. So it was, uh, that's what I remember about that. And I cannot, I do not want to admit, is that 28 years ago? It's 92. 92. 28 years ago with the anniversary with Sid Bream and Barry Bonds, one of the great players, defensive players in baseball in the 90s and the 2000s. Couldn't throw Sid Bream lumbering around third out from, from medium left field. Remarkable. It all came together in game seven, a walk-off win for the People Braves. The Maybe Braves it will be good luck. Maybe the Braves were down 2 nothing, bottom of the ninth, getting lit up by Doug Drabeck. They got Drabeck out of the game. Andy Listen Van to Slyke told Andy I... Van Slyke told Bonds to move over into more left center field, and Bonds refused to move over. So in the play, when the ball gets hit, you wow. see he's left because he has because he didn't move over when Van Slyke told him to, and that's why he's a split second late throwing Bream out at home. Unreal. Well, Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh fans have their memory of Bill Mazeroski. And that was this week. Also 60 years ago this week, the pirates won on a game seven walk off home run, I think in the bottom of the ninth, but it may have been an extra inning. I think it was a bottom of the ninth home run. That 60 year anniversary was this week. So the pirates at least have that, even though their team is terrible in the present day, they have that to fall back on. They don't want to think about or talk about the NLCS of 1992 the against the Braves. Histo- and- the other two historic baseball moments on the same day as Cabrera, different years, Ozzie Smith hit the homer off Fewer in the 85 playoffs. Listen to you. And Jose Batista with the bat flip was on the same day four or five years ago for the Blue Jays. All those three things. Well, I can tell you this. That's a great, that's a great memory about the same day. Wow. I didn't realize that having grown up uh, at least initially in Memphis, my hometown, having gone back to school in Memphis, it is such a St. Louis Cardinal town and the Cardinals own Missouri, like Western Tennessee, Arkansas. They own that whole region of the country and have for 60, 70 years that, that call of Jack Buck, Yep. Go crazy, folks. Go crazy. It's a home run for the wizard. I heard that till I wanted to puke back in <laughs> back in the 90s. So I can't. That's on the same day as the Francisco Cabrera yes. Sid Green base hit. How about that? that this is. is some serious karma this week in big league baseball. All right. So you're, you're listening to the Powers on Sports podcast with TJ Reeve. TJ hosts his own podcast called the Three Dog Thursday podcast. I know that yes. just got released. So I've been originally enough. We put it out on Thursdays, brother, the three dog know, Thursday right? podcast yes. where we talk underdogs a lot of the time and have a lot of fun uh, talking football and other sports. So thank you for the plug. Find out, tell, tell the folks where they can find it. You t- I know it's on YouTube, right? There's a YouTube channel that has the video round table. So I've even had Jason powers and you see his mug on the, on the round table. Uh, and then you can subscribe anywhere you get podcasts, Apple podcasts, Spotify, Google podcasts, just like powers on sports. Just That's look right. for three there dog Thursday and we talk it up and we chop it up there every Thursday. Uh, primarily college and NFL football right now, this time of the year. And thank God we have it because we weren't sure again in 2020. The only thing we know is that we don't know. We weren't sure that we were going to get football. We've gotten football at least to this point. Let's hang in there that we can keep having football, and we love talking about it on Three Dog Thursday. Absolutely. And i got to give TJ full credit. TJ has been very instrumental in helping get the Powers on Sports <laughs> podcast to some more viewers and some different platforms. So full credit and full thanks yes. to you, TJ, for doing that, for helping me 
trying to promote the pod, my podcast, yes. your podcast as well. You are, you are doing the right things. You are doing it the right way with, uh, I mean, the, the podcast is the future of radio and the future of broadcast and keep it up with powers on sports. There's no doubt. And if folks are hearing us and they want to know how they can help you the same way that I say with my own stuff, subscribe and rate and review this podcast, and then others will see it and find it. The more of you that rate it and review it on Apple or on Spotify, more will see it as it moves up in the rankings. Spread the word, share it out. I get asked all the time by people, how can I help you with what you're doing? And I say to them, subscribe to the podcast, rate and review. Subscribe, rate and review. I've been saying this to Jason off the year when he keeps saying, how do I get more listeners? What do I say? Subscribe Subscribe, and get them to rate and review the podcast. Thank you. All right, let's get to your wheelhouse, the National yes. Football League. You are the the official number one sideline reporter for the <laughs> Tampa Bay Bucket, Tampa yeah. Bay Buccaneers. Uh, the name of your fantasy football league, the Tampa Bay <laughs> Fantasy Football League. <laughs> we have the game of the week this week with the with the Bay of Pigs invasion. Wow! The Green Bay Packers coming to Raymond James Stadium Sunday afternoon, four twenty-five. Fox TV. Give me a quick breakdown of your thoughts on the game and kind of some storylines that you'll be interested in as the Buccaneers uh, angry after the loss to the Bears. Buccaneers injured still. And and I saw on that injured list names like Rob Gronkowski and Levante David, oh boy, that are there with Mike Evans and Chris Godwin uh, and Shady McCoy and Leonard Fournette. Let's get some Buccaneers healthy. The early part of the season has been rough on everybody, Jason. So got to get the Buccaneers healthy uh, for this one. And you better be ready to play some D and have your track shoes on to cover the receivers against Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. Uh, as they come in undefeated, they're off a bye week. They may get Devontae Adams back, their outstanding receiver Looking off a hamstring way. injury. Don't, don't, don't know for sure that he's going to be able to play, but as we're talking here late in the week, he's apparently going to try off the bye week. That's a dangerous weapon. Um, and this is going to be a lot of fun. It's just it's bizarre that we did the first Buccaneer game again with no fans in the stands, just like I was talking to you earlier in the conversation about doing that North Carolina-Syracuse game with nobody there. That is the first time in the 22 years of Raymond James Stadium, the 23rd season of the Bucks, no fans there for the Carolina game. Wow. Very weird, eerie. You could hear everything on the field. It was crazy. Now, you had some fans for the Chargers game back a couple of weeks ago. You had around eight to 10,000 that were there. It was kind of like a soft open to try it out with fans and accommodating them and social distancing. They're expecting something like 12 to 14,000. That is somewhere around what 25% is. It's kind of nebulous on what can be there. Um, and now here we go with, with what's a very important game because the Bucs do not want to be three and three. They'd love to hand the Packers their first loss. Will not be easy. How healthy 72 hours from the time that we're talking right now are the Bucks going to be for that game? I'm concerned. Got to get healthier, Jason. Chris Godwin, a big, big, a bit very mm. iffy. You know, uh, one thing I think to, that's going to play to the Buccaneers' advantage, the way they lost in Chicago with some bonehead penalties. Tom Brady, did he forget what down it was? Did he not? He did. He did. He did. He did. Absolutely. He did. When not. you're the only one, I mean, and he's owned up to it now at this point, but when you're the only one left standing on the field holding up four <laughs> fingers looking at the ref and you officiate, and the referee's looking at him like, what do you want me to tell you? It's first down Chicago this way. It's right there on TV, right? We're seeing it. It's embarrassing. He lost track. 
Uh, you would have never thought that would happen with a Hall of Fame player, but it happened. And now you got to overcome it. The only way you overcome it is get back out there, get back up on the horse, and go beat the Packers. I think you'll see a very focused Tom Brady. I think I think you'll see a very focused from a discipline perspective because of the of the of the lazy penalties that they committed last week in Chicago. Lots of lazy holdings. You had the Jensen personal foul that you know they had four or five penalties Can't on one it. drive. I think you're going to see a very and plus they've had a couple of extra days, the mini buy coming off the Thursday night game. I think you're going to see a very focused and disciplined Buccaneer team Sunday. To me, the one of the big matchups in the game defensively, covering the Green Bay backs coming out of the backfield. Jamal Williams, Aaron Jones, they've now got a tight end threat in Tanyan at tight end. How do the Buccaneers handle those three guys outside of Devontae Adams and you got Valdez Scantling, but those three ancillary guys that are going to be matched up with the linebackers and the safeties will be a big and key. And the tight end, Tanyan, he caught, what, two, three touchdowns against yep. the Falcons in the Monday night game the last time they played? So he yep. that's a weapon. you got to account for him. And you're right, Devin White in particular better be ready to cover guys out of the backfield or cover tight ends. It's going to be uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. We don't get a chance to have Aaron Rodgers uh, in Tampa every year anymore, uh, like the old NFC Central that you were referencing with the Bay of Pigs when the Packers played every year against the Bucks in the division, home and away. Yep. So uh, Rodgers and the Packers. I'm trying to recollect. It's Lovey Smith, I Probably, think, the yeah. last time they played here in the rotation with the schedule, et cetera, that the, the Green Bay was here. We've been to Green Bay a couple of times, too, in the 2010s, but it's not every year. And so this one, again, with Rodgers, a lot of people don't realize Aaron Rodgers is what in his, like, 16th year in the in the league. He's 38 years old. So this he's not a spring third, chicken. Only, yeah. the third, only the third matchup with Brady ever. The first yeah. time they've ever played each other. It's crazy. So this doesn't happen that often. And so, yeah, let's let's relish this. Most of the country is going to see it on Fox Yep. Uh, coming for Sunday. So should be a lot of fun for Brady and the Buccaneers. Let's see if they can right some wrongs and get a win. If you're in the Tampa Bay area, tell us the channel. They can listen to it on, on radio. So, so there's several ways to hear it. 98 Rock is the FM sports uh, outlet there. 98 Rock is rock during the week, but it's the Buccaneer flagship station. You can yep. also hear it through the Buccaneers mobile app. If you're in the Tampa Bay area, the greater central Florida area, you can still hear it on the app. Unfortunately, because the broadcast rules with the NFL and streaming and the internet, you're not going to hear it on the app outside of the area. So that's the two primary ways to hear it. If you have Sirius XM satellite radio, you'll hear it through them. Again, uh, the legendary Hall of Famer Gene Deckerhoff on the radio calls with Dave Moore, our analyst, a longtime tight end. And I just try to make up something intelligent to say here and there as the as the sideline guy and the postgame guy. Give the fans an idea where you, where will you be during this game? I know you're probably not allowed so, on the field. So where do you go? So it's unusual. So this is the same for the network TV uh, sideline people and for the camera people. We're in the front row. There's one camera that is allowed on the field with an assistant, and other than that, cameras, still photographers. Uh, sideline reporters were in the front row in what's called the operational zone. So we're down there, but we're not actually on the field. And it's still a great vantage point to see what you need to see uh, and do what you got to do. And we totally, I get it. I get it. They're, these are, these are a strange infectious times and you got to take every precaution and people need to understand that right now in the NFL world, the players, the coaches, the training staff and the doctors, they're in an immediate category called tier one. No one is allowed to be around the tier one people except other tier one people from the other team or somebody being needed to execute the game like the referees, like what you were talking about, or the guys holding the down markers, 
uh, or, or the one camera that can be down there. Nobody in the tier one people are being COVID tested, if not every day, every other day. It is a strenuous, strict guideline that nobody can be around those guys. So that means GMs, team staff, that they're not tier one. They can't be around their own players and their own staff, wow. much less the third tier, which is us, the media and the ancillary staff and that stuff. We can't be around it either. So, but for right now, we're happy that we have football. And if this Absolutely. is what it has to be, then Jason, this is what it has to be. And if you need a little more room in the operations section, give, give Aaron Andrews a little elbow to create a little space. <laughs> <laughs> You know, what's interesting, I saw her tweet this. I've been around her some, and she obviously is from Tampa, went to the University of Florida. She has never worked a game in Tampa for Fox before. She has wow. never worked. So so she's worked Buccaneer games, but never won in Tampa with the number one crew since she's been part of it. Buck and Aikman were here a bunch earlier in the 2000s, uh, the beginning of the century, still weird to say that. They were here a bunch. But she's she's not been here. But I will say hello for you when I <laughs> when I uh, when I see Aaron uh, for this. And she's a huge Tampa Bay sports fan. She's Absolutely, a huge Lightning yeah. fan, Rays fan. Absolutely. So she's living and dying while all this is going on too. Absolutely. All right. So let's um last thing on the Buccaneers. To me, I think this is why this game is so critical. The next seven game stretch for the Buccaneers mm -hmm. is very challenging. You have New Orleans. You got some primetime games. The Rams. You go to Vegas next week. Some very big games in the next Kansas City. The Holmes and the Chiefs so come here in November. You don't want to be the only. Yeah, the only game that you're looking at that you would say, hey, you're going to be heavily favored, even though it's on the road, is the Giants on Monday Correct. Night Football. And I don't know that that's even going to be a gimme to go there and win. So you better buckle down and you got to take advantage of your home games. You're absolutely this is a right. Very big seven game stretch. You got to be oh. in four and three, if not five and two, because the NFC is super deep now with. The, the teams out west, you got the, the NFC East is not going to be a factor other than the champions, but you got Green Bay, you got uh, Chicago, who has the head to head with the Buccaneers. So it's a very deep NFC. So you can't afford to, to lose games you're not supposed to lose. So very important game for the Buccaneers Sunday. And, and again, for the audience, uh, you know, most of your audience is probably in and around Florida, Tampa Bay area, that kind of thing. But people hearing us outside the area, you're going to see a bunch of the Buccaneers, not just this Packer game, but you mentioned Sunday night with the Raiders, Monday night with the Giants, later in the year, Sunday night again with the Saints at home. Yep. Also Monday night again with the Rams at home. So the country right. is going to see the Bucs a bunch, Jason, in standalone games. Let's hope their play lives up to it. All right, let's get to one more game and then we'll move on. Cleveland, Pittsburgh. The are the Cleveland Browns for real, or is this just kind of an aberration start to their season? So I saw a lot of that game last week, and one of the disadvantages, and I'm not complaining about having the gig that I have, I don't get to see a lot of a lot of games yep. on Sundays because I'm working, and a lot of times we're traveling or whatever. So I got to see a bunch of football last week with the Bucks off, and I watched a bunch of that Browns game with the Colts, and they were impressive, and that's four wins in a row. For whatever it's worth, how about this? Can I hit you with my question? You might or might not know the answer. I've been hitting other people with this, including on the Three Dog Thursday podcast. The last time the Browns were 4-1, and one, do you know who the head coach is? You've been talking about him already on this podcast. The last time the Cleveland Browns were 4-1, and one, it's a setup for you. You were talking about him early on in the podcast. Another hit, he can't coach his team this weekend. I'm gonna the last time... Bill Belichick and Nick Saban. There you go. 
Bill Belichick, the head coach, Nick Saban, the defensive coordinator, 1994 is the And Vinny Testaverde, speaking of Buccaneers, was the quarterback <laughs> of the 94 Browns. That's the last time they were four and one. How that about used, that? This used to be an unbelievable rivalry in the 90s. Cleveland, 19, back to your 1994 stat, 1994 was the last time both of these teams have played each other when they've both been over 500. Can you believe that? <laughs> and that's mostly Cleveland's fault because Pittsburgh's yes. been really good since yes. 1994. Cleveland has mostly been the f- at fault on that. Uh, and and look, uh, the Steelers are at a great level. I cannot believe they've never been 4-0. With all those Super Bowl-winning teams, Bradshaw, Swan, Franco Harris, Jack Lambert, Mel Blunt, they never went 4-0 in the 70s. Uh, that's hard to believe. And even the Super Bowl teams with Big Ben – uh, with Cower and with Mike Tomlin, they weren't 4-0. Yep. So 4-0 Cleveland or 4-0 Steelers, 4-1 Cleveland, going to be a lot of fun. It's at Pittsburgh. Uh, they've had their number for so many years, especially yep. with Roethlisberger. It's going to be tough on the uh, tough on the Browns. Uh, let's let's see out there. if they grow up. And I, and I saw uh, something that OBJ here late in the week is ill, got sent yep. home from practice because he's ill. Don't know what that means for Sunday, for three days from now, from the time that we're taping. I don't know. I still like the Steelers in this game. I don't know about you, Jason. I do too. I think I think I think the versatility of Roethlisberger against that Cleveland defense. I think Pittsburgh Mayfield has not played very well in the second half throwing the ball. They have been a very run-heavy team with Kareem Hunt, Nick Chubb. So I think I think Pittsburgh in the end is with the crowd, with the with the home field. I think Pittsburgh with Chase Claypool. To me, this guy is turning into a player, a stud player. Pittsburgh always develops wide receivers. For some reason, they are able to develop oh, yeah. wide receivers that they draft. And this guy's just another, another one in the litany of guys they've drafted. How about none of their receivers, their Hall of Fame caliber, I mean, their Hall of Fame guys, Lynn Swan, John Stallworth, Hall of Fame caliber guys, Heinz Ward. Name one, Antonio uh, Brown. San, Santonio Holmes, Antonio Brown. None of them ever caught four touchdowns in a Steeler game. Wow. And now this guy Claypool caught four last week against the Eagles. So he's the number one pickup off the fantasy football waiver wire for sure this week. Um, again, admit, Big Ben will find a way to, to get admit, it done. He was in my starting lineup last week. I, I'm in one of my other leagues. Boom. Big win. Boom, boom. Correct. All right. <laughs> The disaster in Atlanta. Dan Quinn wow. out. Raheem Morris been elevated. We, you know Raheem well. How do you think Raheem will handle these last ten weeks, eleven weeks in Atlanta with COVID? They had a COVID outbreak today at the facility. That game so the latest. Time. So so the latest is Raheem takes over. Former Buccaneers coach. He's the interim coach. He's got a lot that uh, is on his plate. Obviously, with trying to to right the ship. And initially, the report from Adam Schefter was that it was four players that tested positive, and that and this is rare. That's now been debunked, and he's been outed, and wow. he is. I mean, so the NFL came down and said the report is incorrect. The Falcons said the report is incorrect that it is only one staff member that tested positive. So the Falcons Vikings game is still on for this week. So a rare bad info boo boo from Adam Schefter. Uh, on that so will will the Falcons respond with Raheem there we got we've got one reference point that a year ago they were struggling so badly and they fired the defensive coordinator Marquand Manuel the former Florida Gator yeah uh, and and promoted Raheem to defensive coordinator again 
And they played the Saints at home for what it's worth and shut them down and upset them as like a nine or 10 point underdog. I don't know that that's what's going to happen in Minnesota. This is a road game. It's a different year. Raheem, not just coaching the defense, but having to be the head coach. You got Dirk Cutter, the former Bucks coach, yeah. as the play caller yeah. as well. So you got Buccaneers subplots all over this thing. I just don't know about them in Minnesota. Minnesota angry off of losing in the final seconds to the Seahawks. Yeah, I, I think I'm taking Minnesota in this I'm game. I'm with you. Jason. I think Minnesota gets it done for sure. And hopefully Raheem, I don't know, again, you know but probably better than I, hopefully Raheem will do a better job of handling the roster and the whole team. I know we had some issues in Tampa. I Hopefully he will, as, as he's grown and matured, will handle the head coaching responsibilities better and maybe have an opportunity to get – he probably won't get this job unless he goes on a massive eight and two kind of run, but hopefully it'll make him a candidate for another job down the road. If he demonstrates that they play hard for him and they're playing better football and win some games, it definitely gives him a chance. And Raheem, I, I know this from, uh, from him and from others around him for years, he's wanted another chance somehow, somewhere, some way to be a head coach. And here it is. And, and Rich McKay, there's another Tampa Bay tie, yeah. former Buccaneer architect and GM of the Super Bowl team, whose father was John McKay, the first coach. He is the president of the Falcons, and he evaluated the coaching roster and the whole situation in the locker room and said, let's put Raheem in there because he's been a head coach before, and maybe they will respond to him. And let's see if the Falcons do. And not just this week, but I think the real test – is are they playing better, smarter, more enthusiastically over the next few weeks? That'll bode well for Raheem. I don't. I can't imagine Dirk Cutter's very happy right now. With the, with well, the, I mean, uh, you know, the, it's a bad situation all the yeah. way around, and there's yeah. there's a lot of talk about is Matt Ryan's future about to yeah. be over with, and Cutter's kind of tied to Matt Ryan also. Yep. And as awful as they were at the beginning of last year, and as awful as they were this year, including on offense, they're scrambling right now. They are all they, they are struggling. All right, let's get to the last topic of the, of the podcast, the yes. boxing world. You are a yes. boxing guy. You know the ins and outs of that world. A lot, a lot of fans out there do. Two big, big storylines I want to get your opinion on. One, you got the Fury Wilder 3 was supposed to be the, wow. the trilogy. Turned, now it's off again. Give us some inside. Do you have any inside information? I wish – I wish, and again, this is this would be the third fight. It was supposed to be in December for the WBC heavyweight title. Fury beat Wilder, as some of your audience may know, in February, handing him his first loss. And Wilder's an Alabama guy, back to Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Yes, it circles back like the beginning of the podcast. That's where Wilder is from. Um, and amazingly here, this fight was already delayed because of COVID-19. They tried to reschedule it for October, and it didn't happen. They want to have fans there. They couldn't make it happen, apparently, for December in Vegas. And Tyson Fury is the one that has initiated this and has said, I want to fight somebody. I'm not able to fight Wilder. I'm going to go over to the U.K. and fight somebody. And for the life of me, while we're sitting here on the podcast, I don't understand why Wilder and the people that are around him, managing him and promoting him, aren't screaming hey, we've got a contract and we're ready to fight in December. We will right. fight him somewhere. If it can't be in Vegas, we'll fight him in the UK if we have to. We will fight him in Mongolia on the moon if we have to. That hasn't happened as of yet. So apparently we're not going to get a Wilder Fury third fight at the end of this year. And the concern I know from, from Wilder's camp was if they didn't exercise the rematch for the third fight now, that he may never fight Wilder again, that he doesn't have to. He could retire again. He's aloof. Tyson Fury, he's goofy. He yeah. could win a couple of more fights with the big money and say, I'm not fighting anymore. Right. So 
the last chapter may or may not have been written on these guys fighting a third fight before the end of this year. We'll stay tuned on that. But right now there's a little bit of, there's a little bit of contractual drama and Tyson Fury says, I want to go to England and fight somebody else. We'll see if, if Wilder has a response in the coming days or the next couple of weeks. And then this weekend you got Lomachenko yes. Lopez, your thoughts. Great lightweight title fight. Again, you don't have to be a hardcore boxing fan or know these names. Here's your storylines. It's on ESPN Saturday night, not on pay-per-view, not on ESPN+. Plus. Big ESPN will show it after all the college football is over. This thing will happen around 11 Eastern, 11.30 Eastern, something like that. Lomachenko, former Ukrainian gold medalist in the Olympics, very talented, multi-belt holder, in the lightweight division, has won several world title defenses, fighting a young American from New York named Teofimo Lopez. Lopez has a big right hand, big punching uh, right hand bomber, and has 15 pro fights and I think 12 knockouts. Uh, Lopez just recently won a world title in his last fight. Not as seasoned as Lomachenko. Very intriguing experience versus young power in this fight. It's going to be action-packed. So after all the college football is winding down Saturday night, check out Lopez, Lomachenko, ESPN will televise. Again, not on pay-per-view. Looking forward to it. Should be a lot of fun. Styles make fights. Young hard puncher against veteran, wily boxer, tactician, guy that will wear you down and cut you up figuratively with his punches. So it should be a, a very intriguing world title fight, and I'm looking forward to it on Saturday. A lot of people think Lomachenko might be the pound-for-pound pound best fighter in the world, pound-for-pound. Pound. I mean, he's him and uh, – He's hard to hit, my friend. Yes, and Lopez sir. is going to find that out. It's not going to be easy to hit him. You're going to have to create it. You're going to have to close distance. You're going to have to hit him some maybe to the body. You're going to have to set him up. It's not easy. And uh, and he's going to probably find that out the hard way Saturday, Teofimo Lopez. Well, TJ, I really appreciate your time. We've hit a bunch of different topics today. Enjoy your trip to Tuscaloosa and Birmingham for the weekend. <laughs> hopefully you don't get derailed to Starkville, Mississippi, yes. which is a possibility. But yes, at the time happen. that we're taping, there is a backup game in Starkville that we believe will remain the backup game. But who knows? It's 2020. We don't know. We, we hope. We think we're at Alabama, Georgia, Saturday night on Compass Media Networks. Looking forward to it. Check out TJ's on, on Three Dog Thursday's podcast. You can check him out on uh, Twitter at buck sideline guy tj very much appreciate your time and i uh have a great weekend and we'll be in touch soon thank you sir thank you for having me on the powers on sports podcast and again for all the fans subscribe and rate and review powers on sports thank you jason you gotta have a great weekend sir bye-bye